What's up, my beautiful honey bunnies? Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the Wise Saga Dating Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Alice. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're new here, what is up? How did you find me? I'm going to say this in every episode because it's still blowing my fucking mind whenever I look at the maps of where you all live. How did you find me? Please message me. I want to know. It like I feel like a child on Christmas whenever I see these different places pop up, like Africa and like just places I just don't know anyone. So yeah, it's such a gift. And obviously anyone who's been following my podcast from the beginning, thank you as well from the bottom of my heart. It means so much that you support this fun little passion project of mine, especially because I don't post that often. I've been very busy lately in all the best ways. Um, So I'd like to start doing this more regularly. I'm just starting to find my flow back. So for anyone who didn't listen to the last episode, just a little update. I poured my sweet little heart out to you. And really invited you to see and hear about the challenges I had gone through in the last three, four months, um, and how that healing process was, it was tough, but I am definitely on the other side. I shared my intimate struggles with depression and really how heightened or provoked it was over the last few months um, combined with the abortion and knee surgery and I'm not going to get too much into it but I also shared my experience um, with suicide when I was 22 so yeah if you if you you know if you feel called to know more of the details it's it's in the previous episode but I'm, gosh, I'm just swimming in gratitude right now for the past couple months because I've really, really been intentional with how I really needed to move forward from all of those experiences that happened. Because it's, you know, you go through different feelings and phases of those feelings. I was angry, I was frustrated, I was so fucking sad, too sad. I had one of the most intense panic attacks of my life. And then I decided to take a break from drinking, and that was really the clarity and little vacation I needed, you know? I needed this little solo retreat for myself to really process and and welcome all of the different feelings that came in. And once frustration and sadness... Um, really flowed through me and I welcomed it and worked through it, I was able to find gratitude and peace and love. And yeah, it's now I'm, I'm really seeing, I'm seeing so much beauty. I say it all the time, but it's been so lovely really allowing myself to welcome the shift and, let go of the plans I had before because I I wasn't planning on being here and now being here is 
is a whole new adventure and I'm just excited. People keep asking me, you know, where are you going next? I'd love to plan. Don't get me wrong. I have some ideas in mind. Um, but right now I feel like I, I just don't want to plan anything. I'm really focusing on just being here. I have a tendency to see chaos because that's how I was raised in a chaotic, traumatic household. Um, every time I say this, I want to emphasize the fact that, you know, I love my parents and that's just, that's a whole other thing. It's mostly that the way that I was raised causes me to see chaos, causes me to disturb my nervous system because I'm kind of addicted to it in that, like, I love challenges. It's, I mean, I recently started cold plunging and like part of the reason why I love it so much is I'm addicted to, (laughs) this is going to sound fucked up. I'm addicted to the pain. I love that burn and I love working through all of the emotion and fear that comes with forcing yourself or immersing yourself in cold water. I just did an ice bath last night. That was nuts. I could seriously feel my nervous system rising. Like I could feel my heart beating out of my chest. I could feel the panic. And then I could also tell myself, Hey, you're safe. And this experience has been curated in a way that is safe for you. And it only took like a couple minutes for me to find that safety, to bring myself down to the parasympathetic state. And then I could just, I mean, again, it was painful, but I was kind of just cruising through it. Oof, that sounds, okay, cruising is not the right word, but I'm a weirdo. I like that pain. It's the same reason why I like tattoos. There's something really just satisfying about having autonomy over my own pain, if that makes sense. Like everything that happened to me when I was younger, I didn't choose. Whereas like I choose to get tattoos. I choose to do cold plunges. I have autonomy and sovereignty over that. And that for some reason makes me, it's like therapeutic for me to like take my body back, take my heart back and choose to feel those things and notice, okay, these are feelings and like I can still chill out my nervous system. So yeah, that's probably, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert in cold punching, but I think it's a, I think that is for me what contributes to why it's really helped me mentally on top of all the physical benefits. So, hey, here I am. Another episode. I am, I am just honored. I got to chat with dating and relationship coach, Christy Taylor. She is also the author of the book, What I Wish I Knew About Love. And her work has also been featured in Cosmopolitan Magazine, Well and Good, The Washington Post, a bunch of incredible blogs that are filled with so much wisdom about love, dating, relationships, you know I'm going to link it below. You know, there are so many amazing voices out there right now. And when it comes, and you know, every person is unique and has um, their own way of delivering their wisdom and sharing the things they've learned from their experiences. But with Kirsty, I've just really resonated with her. And 
she's one of those ones where every time she posts something, I'm saving it. <laughs> uh, hence why I reached out to her. You know, I'm, I'm, I try and be intentional with who I want to connect with. And she was someone I was just like shocked. She even messaged me back. Um, just cause I just figured she was super busy. So thanks, Kirsty. Really appreciate you for taking the time. And really a huge reason why I reached out to her is, um, she shared her journey of being intentionally single. And that's what I've been channeling the last nine months now. I, sorry, I had to clear my throat. So in November, I ended my last relationship and that's when I had the idea to start the podcast because the podcast was a way for me to not only learn and grow, but to hold myself accountable because when that relationship ended, I promised myself I wanted to be single for a year. And this is different from any other time I've been single. You know, when I've been single, um, I just kind of would go with the flow and I didn't really, there wasn't much intention. I mean, there was, but I think really my thing was really doing something different, really illuminating those patterns that were coming up over and over again, those relationship dynamics that I was repeating that maybe weren't serving me. And I think that each year, even if I'm in a relationship or being single, it's always nice to kind of redefine your needs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's just staying curious, having that willingness to grow, is really, really important for me. So this time around, being intentionally single was just, it's it's been all about focusing and, and, and really pouring back into me. So yeah, when I got to hear Kirstie's story, I was like, wow, I'm so with you there. I totally resonated and I've just learned so much. Plus, you know, it's nice to hear someone tell their story and be able to relate and know that it's, it's going to have its challenges and it's going to be beautiful and it's just inspiring. So let's, let's hop in. This has been a long ass intro. I was hoping to share more, but I think what I really need to do is do a proper solo podcast to talk about what I've learned in the past nine months. So for now, let's hop into my chat with Kirsty Taylor. Thanks again, everyone. Sending you all my love. Enjoy. Welcome, Kirsty Taylor. I am just, I mean, you've already heard me gushing about you before we started <laughs> recording. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sweet. I, I can't believe this is happening. Thanks again. Um, yeah. And uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just want to say that, like, I personally think that you're one of the most important voices right now on the internet. Um, everything that you share, all of your wisdom is is so authentic and genuine. Um, and I love that you have this ability to bring your knowledge and wisdom as well as like 
approach it through like a psychological lens where it's not just like, I just, I feel like I'm constantly learning from you. And um, I just want to know, like, how did this all start? How did you get started with this work? Yeah. First off, thank you. That's so sweet. Everything you just said. I really appreciate that. Um, So yeah, how did I get started? I, it's always a very roundabout way that I got into the work that I do today and I'm never sure of where to start. So in terms of the work that I do, I actually, during this year break that I took from dating, started, actually it coincided with me also leaving this technical recruiting job I had and also to kind of taking a pause on my career and just taking a a job as a nanny to figure out what I wanted to do um, otherwise. And during that time, I started to write online on a website called Medium, which is where I have a ton of articles if anyone wants to go on there and look for them. Uh, (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of articles out there. So I started writing on Medium about my experiences in dating, my experience dating someone who is not diagnosed as a narcissist, but very much, you know, meets all the criteria and people just resonated with it. And I found through writing about my own experiences and then also writing about everything I learned about adult psych- adult relationship psychology, people really wanted to hear this kind of in this kind of advice, this kind of information, this kind of like BS free, game playing free advice and through my medium articles, you know, it kind of all just snowballed from there. I was able to get my book deal through my book deal. I was able to land, uh, you know, articles in Cosmopolitan Magazine and Wall Street Journal. And then at one point I was like, I'm going to bring this to TikTok because it was actually during the pandemic. I, I downloaded TikTok and I was like, this platform is awesome. I love it. And I was like, I could just put all the information I talk about in my articles on a TikTok. Did that. That also blew up. So that kind of all just led me to where I am today. Wow. I have to say, I don't have TikTok. Um, so but I like I just watch reels and like all of your reels I swear I have so many aha moments where I'm like oh shit and like like, (laughs) literally shared so many of them with like all of my friends because they're just they you always like hit the nail what's the saying the nail nail on the head thank you yeah oh is that it I was gonna say hit the nail on the hammer but (laughs) I think it's hit the nail on the head (laughs) yeah I don't well I I have no idea I literally every common saying I fuck up um (laughs) That's the thing is like your reels, when I say aha moments, it's one thing to be able to, you know, immerse yourself in, in, in the resources and the content, but then you have a, an amazing way of articulating that and putting that out there for people to really understand. And I'm always like very intrigued and very captured. So Good yeah, I'm, not, I'm just going to stop fangirling. Okay. So <laughs> I would love to kind of dial it back to um, the year you took off dating. I'm Very much so in that spot right now. I'm actually on the cusp of my eighth month of being intentionally single. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. It was, it's different from before where I would be single, but I would just, I I don't know. I feel like there's a difference between being intentionally single and Mm -hmm. just single. Um, But yeah, I'd love to know your experience. And, you know, did you, did you, completely be like stay alone did you hook up how did what did that look like yeah so I went under the the rule I guess I hate putting saying the word rule because that sounds so strict but if a date naturally came into my realm I would but I was not on apps not intentionally trying to date I do have this one story and it's I won't I won't 
say it on here because it's kind of long. Um, but about how I met this cute guy at a yoga studio, blah, blah, blah. I ended up calling the yoga studio and asking him out on a date. Um, that did happen during, yeah, it was, it was my empowering dating moment. That did happen. Thank you. That did happen during my year date, uh, year dating break. Although that, that, that date did not pan out. We were, we were definitely not a match. Um, so I did have that going on like those like kind of one one or two dates but intentionally I never tried to really look for a relationship so to say and you know these dates were happening like one every two months the majority of the time that I spent during the year break from dating was you know figuring out what I wanted to do with my career because it coincided with me leaving my technical recruiting job and then doing and investing time in the things I really loved I also would always put off, you know, taking trips with my friends and everything. And during that time, I went to Mexico with some of my friends. I did day trips with my friends. I just saw my friends more, invested into my relationships, friendship relationships. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, it was a great, it was a great experience. And yeah, like you said, the intentionality behind it, the difference is, you know, okay, I'm just going to be single because I'm sick of dating versus I'm going to be single because I kind of want to learn what my unhealthy dating patterns are. I want to learn what my attachment style is. I want to work with a therapist or a coach. Those type of things are the intentionality behind the break from dating, which not everyone has to do, but if it's something you're inclined to do, it could be a really good option for you. Yes. Oh my gosh. You articulated that so well. I I feel like that's what I was trying to say is like before, you know, I would be single and I, I never really had an issue with being single. I was not the type Mm -hmm. that I needed companionship or needed to date but I love the intentionality of yeah filling up your own cup and that's like I you know I see a therapist once a week now and um and and like learning so much about the unhealthy dating patterns is one of like the coolest coolest experiences so I love that you know you spent that whole year and so how did you know really like when it came to a timeline did you say I'm gonna do a year or was it just that you ended up meeting someone after a year? How did that go down? Yeah, so it was intentionally a year. I don't know where I got that from at the time. I was just like, a year sounds great. (laughs) Um, I had been a serial monogamous for over a decade. So to me, it really almost was like a challenge as well. To me, I, I also am luckily wasn't under this strict, like, I need to get into a relationship and get married, that kind of timeline, which I know a lot of people struggle with and worry about. And to them, a year would be like, wow, that's a huge waste of time. Um, But I, how old was I when I took this break? I was either 26 or 27. And I just was like, a year, that sounds good. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna strive for a year. Dude, I love that. And we're like, I feel like that's exactly where I'm at. I was a serial monogamous for a decade too, like literally yeah. 10 years. And then here I am month eight. I'm like, and I said a year. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm almost there. And I'm just yeah. like, I feel like I could keep going. Um, one thing that I, one of your posts that I loved was one about stonewalling. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find when it comes to conflict in relationships, even in you know platonic relationships, there's this understanding of people's boundaries and the time they need to take. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. while at the same time, how much, you know, how much of that is 
where's the level of disrespect when someone's just completely avoiding? And then how much of that kind of creeps into ghosting? I know that's really loaded, but I wondered if we can kind of touch on the difference between stonewalling and ghosting right. and then how people can kind of create those boundaries with partners, with, with friendships, um, to make sure that they're still feeling seen and heard while also creating space and respect for the other person. Yeah. So with stonewalling, what it is, is a intentional withdrawal from the other person, partner, it can even be, you know, a friend, a parent, and just completely cutting off communication with them, usually without any warning or any explanation. And I don't want to say that this is necessarily always manipulative. I think that also there's people who are avoidantly attached and just have very unhealthy ways of coping with things just like anxiously attached people do. And then other people do do it manipulatively. So the stonewalling that I've I've posted about and had my own experience with which which was one specific relationship was that, you know, we would get into a looking back a very minuscule argument or disagreement about things and he would need to take space for a week and that meant blocking me, that meant uh completely Whoa. shutting off contact. Yes. Uh, and it was also an added layer of uh, just not fun experience because he was my best friend's roommate at the time. Um, so trying to navigate that was just not fun. And so this the disrespect and like the unhealthiness, like what I always say is the damaging aspect that you can do to your bond in a relationship with stonewalling is is twofold. One is not giving your partner any explanation of what's going on, right? Like I'm always going to say communication is so key. If you need to, if you need space and you need time to process things, let your partner know that. And then the second part is the longevity and the completely cutting off contact. You, um, I, you know, under that poster, even talking about some people were like, but this is what I need to do to, to process things and everything. And then people it's so interesting on these comments because people, someone else will see that comment and then they'll go back and forth. And I'm like, I don't even need to do anything here. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone else was like, well, what if you're married? What if you're living together? Or what if you're just living together? You're like, how are you supposed to take a week of not talking to them? And they're like, oh, you know, I'll just like avoid them at all costs. And it's just like, you know, I don't blame someone for thinking that's the proper way to like handle things. And that's how they us- they would do it in the past. Um, But learning to heal and learning healthier coping mechanisms and communication is so key because you can't ignore your partner for five days and expect to have a thriving, non-damaged relationship afterwards. Um, So that's where the stonewalling comes in. Uh, And if it becomes ghosting, I mean, that's when you just purely, you know, they're like, I need to take space. And then you don't hear from them ever again, which is just truly truly awful and again comes down to communication you know it's okay to want to cut off a relationship but you have to let someone know so why do you think you know in regards to ghosting I mean why do you think people end up ghosting to begin with yeah so you know there's there's a lot of things it can be as simple as they're not good with confrontation they don't want to deal with it it makes them very makes them feel very awkward Some people justify, you know, ghosting is easier than giving an explanation. And some people have even said they'd rather have someone ghost them than get that explanation. Um, Mm. I always err on the side of give someone an explanation. Um, Don't assume that it's better to just never hear from you again. It's also like people worry too, right? You don't want someone worrying over you. Like it's just not fair to do to them. Um, So that's kind of 
probably the main reason of why people ghost is they try to avoid that confrontation. Uh, they just don't want to deal with all those feelings and emotions and conversations that come up with ending something. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've I've ghosted in my day when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And, and when I think about the times that I did it, I literally was just I, I mean, I could call myself easily call myself a coward. Like I just didn't yeah. like felt I didn't want to hurt their feelings, I guess. I yeah. And I and I just didn't want to do it. And now um, I find that it, it it it's weird because back then it felt so much easier to ghost. And now mm-hmm. it feels so much easier to just say straight up. I, you know, I really enjoyed my time with you, but I just don't feel like right. we align in our values. I mean, <laughs> that sounds, I, I don't know if I've said it like no, that. That was really good. Yeah. 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 I did. I did get to curate a text a, a few months back that, that sounded that I felt really proud of, but yeah, it's, nice. uh, and it was, and it was received well. That's the thing is like, yeah. I mean, I think we're so it's we're more consumed in how we feel and forget that like I mean if it's, especially if it's like a new interaction or a new connection they'll feel better about the explanation right yeah they'll feel a bit hurt but they'll prefer it to an explanation and it's very interesting you say that because I do have the both sides of sending the message versus ghosting because my boyfriend and I actually dated for three dates before we t- t- decided to try and give things another try. And I remember I was, you know, I was always going to send him a text, but it was definitely like I was pulling back the communication. It was me texting maybe once a day. And then finally I sent him the message. So now that we're together together, I asked him, I was like, what was it like? What was it like to experience that? And he was like, I knew it was coming. I could tell that the communication was off. Um, I knew. And then when I got the message, like I was hurt, but I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Um, but I did appreciate the, I did appreciate the text. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's hearing it from both ends. Me really hating confrontation and I ended up texting him, but I mean, we only went on three dates, although we were friends. I can't tell if the texting him, that was a bad thing or a good thing. Anyways, uh, he did appreciate (laughs) the text message. So was it a text um, saying that you didn't want to pursue dating him? Yeah, it was basically like, I, you know, have enjoyed going on dates with you, but I think we only went on three dates, but I've enjoyed going on dates with you, but I think we're better off as friends. And when I say that, like, we really did go back to being friends um, because we share a friend group that I know from college and he knows from high school. So we really did go back to being friends. We, uh, you know, he invited me to his birthday like two, three months after to show that everything was good. So, yeah. So what was going on then? Like what kind of sparked the the feeling of feeling or, you know, why did you feel like mm-hmm. you didn't want to continue dating him then? And then, I mean, you know, because you're in a relationship yeah. now. How did that yeah. work? That's a great question because this did happened during that year break from dating that was probably the furthest I ever got with someone and I just was not ready you know I remember Mm -hmm. him texting me consistently and thinking that was weird I remember him giving me compliments and kind of being icked out by it um I just was not ready for someone who was truly like secure and ready to be in a relationship and I'm very lucky that it was six seven months later we decided to give to give it a second try. And I talk about this a lot. I actively worked against that feeling of the ick whenever he 
would text me consistently or show me affection well show me affection through like text it was mostly through the text like everything in person was great but I would get the ick a lot Mm. through the text messages I actively worked against that and I'm really lucky that I at least knew he was a very good person I knew he wasn't gonna treat me badly I knew he was someone worth investing in which sounds interesting but emotionally investing in because we were friends um, so yeah, I actively worked against that the second time and it paid off, you know, the chemistry grew, the connection grew and here we are three years later. Look at you guys, look at yeah. you guys go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, and it, I think it just goes to show that, you know, creating that foundation of a friendship is, is so valuable. It's, it's something that I haven't done first. I always just kind of like meet with someone, click with someone, and then, you know, then we start sleeping together, Mm -hmm. hormones, everything's just kind of like, and the next thing you know, we're we're in a relationship, we're in love. Um, So I I feel like that's one of my top, top, like non-negotiables now. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to dating now where I'm at, where I'm like, like you're, you are going to be friend zoned, like friend zone mm-hmm. for real, because I just, it's all I really want right now. I don't right. even anyways. Um, but I definitely can relate to the ick and it's something that I'm still trying to navigate through because, um, it's like, how do I tell between the ick? And then, um, you have so many beautiful posts about noticing how you feel rather than thinking about how they feel about mm-hmm. you. Right. Um, I think it's something that I know I was so unaware of when I was dating younger, when I was younger. And it's something that I'm becoming more aware of now. So it's like, okay, how do I feel about this person? A, B, the ick. How do you kind of navigate through both of those things? Because say you have someone who's very into you, you have that ick, they might tick off all the boxes. Um, Oh my God, my stomach. Um, (laughs) But then it's like, uh, how am I feeling? I'm feeling ick, but I'm also feeling good. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is a great question that people ask a lot in terms of like, I want to stop dating emotionally unavailable people, but how do I know that this person that is like seems healthy and everything is just not the right match for me because I'm not feeling that connection? And then I talk a lot about, you know, the first date spark, I believe, is a very bad indicator if someone is a good match for you. So how do you balance that? How are you like, okay, this person is the type of person I want, but I'm not feeling it. What I always say is, you know, the first the first few dates, uh, you should not even be focused on necessarily like this intense physical attraction, this intense connection, because like you said, if you're trying to build that friendship part, that part should be like number one focus on the beginning of the day. It's like, do you even like being friends with this person? Like, Do you like mm-hmm. being around them? Do they bring out a good side of you? Do they bring out this happy, out, happy, confident, in whatever way confidence looks for you, side of you? Um, so those are like the number one things to focus on. Then from there, uh, you know, you can see if the attraction grows because it does. There's studies show there's something called the mirror exposure effect. The more that you're with someone, the more likely you are to see them as a as better looking as time passes on, the more you just grow to like being around them. So going off of that, spending more time with them can build up that attraction and the chemistry. Um, so if you feel like you like spending time with them, you feel any hint of like sort of emotional or sexual attraction to them 
I'd say that's that's green flag. Keep going, keep dating them. And then one day you're like, I'm getting the ick because they chew with their mouth open. They chewed with their mouth open on this date or they are regularly texting me and that just seems weird. They seem too into me. Just kind of like put that onto paper and just in a general sense, if your friend was like, someone's doing this, you're like, okay, is this really a deal breaker? Like the, the chewing with their mouth open? Um, no, okay, that's a pet peeve. Let me just kind of like ignore that and see if this goes away. Or is this an emotionally healthy behavior? Someone texting you consistently and look, you've always wanted this in a partner. You always wished mm. people in the past would do this for you. Okay, the fact that I'm getting the ick from it means that I am conditioned from these old relationships to find this inconsistency as passion or as this attraction in a sense. So I'm going to try to push past this ick and see if it goes away. So kind of just being like, all right, what is the behavior? And from like a general standpoint, like step back, as long as there's some type of like, you like hanging out with them, there's some type of connection, potentially, would you want to just push past and see if that changes? Because just because you got the ick on one date does not mean it's going to continue. My boyfriend still gives me the ick every now and then. He does something <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, geez. <Stop. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's so wild too, is that, I mean, speaking from an anxious attachment uh, lens is that behaviors that would give me the ick from someone who isn't avoidant and then the same behavior from an avoidant is like, hi, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, because it's like, you know, that's wild. I, and I mean, I'm, I'm kind of more aware of why it is now because it does mirror the inconsistent behaviors that my caregivers, right. um, how they treated me, which represented the idea of love in quotation marks. Mm. So um, I find that being aware of that is really important. And I I love that, you know, you've, you've, you know, grown from being an anxious, um, att anxiously attached person to becoming secure. So how, you know, how does one, like, what are steps that someone can take uh, other than other than doing your program, <laughs> um, you know, on their own to just like become aware and and give them hope that like yeah you can become secure. How did you do it? Yeah. So the number one thing that I say to become super aware of is to start notice that like that little voice inside your head, what we what a lot of people call your inner critic. Start to notice, you know, when you're dating after a date, like what is that saying to you? Do you come home from a date and do you start thinking, you know? oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I say that thing? This person's never going to like me. Why would anyone like me? I'm never going to find love. I'm unlovable. Write those things down because those are such core, strong beliefs that are truly holding you back in more ways than you notice. And if you can even just pinpoint what they are, you've gone, you've, you've taken the first step in a sense. Um, so that's a big one in terms of just taking a first step. Another one is to learn some healthy coping mechanisms. So in attachment theory, how a, an anxiously attached person reacts to what they perceive as like a threat or something changing in the relationship. So say you get home from a date, you haven't heard from them in four hours, you start overthinking and all of this. A protest behavior, or those are called protest behaviors. So a protest behavior could be like messaging someone a ton or overthinking and having ruminating thoughts. So having healthier coping mechanisms is going to be so key for kind of changing that behavior because if you if you look at that behavior like texting someone a ton or calling them you know it doesn't get the results you want you know that like you can mm. reflect back and see like 
I regret that when I do that. But in the time and during it, I feel like that's the best way to handle things. So if you can have healthier coping mechanisms, that's great. You know, some great ones are to write down what you're feeling, write down what you're thinking, write down what beliefs are coming up for you. You can do some self-soothing exercises like taking deep breaths, doing some box breathing, um, playing with an animal if you have one, going for a walk, calling a friend is really great. So there's a lot of different coping mechanisms you can do to replace those protest behaviors. So it's kind of a twofold with an anxious attachment and becoming more secure. It's replacing those unhealthy behaviors with healthy ones and then also working on those beliefs and even, you know, for some people, depending on your parents' traumas um, with a professional to have them stop holding you back in your love life. Amazing. All just like super valuable practices that I feel like we could even take those into like other aspects of our lives. Just like being able to just connect and understand yourself and your feelings and bring awareness to them is just so amazing. So yes, hell yes to that. Um, (laughs) I was just thinking, um, so like with the work that you've done with um, all of your clients, have you seen a situation where, you know, everything was going really amazing at the beginning. There was connection, um, you know, there was respect um, there was really good communication. Um, but then there was a point where, well, actually where I've seen in my, in my experiences, like, so everything was going in a way that like I saw as healthy. And then when it came to our first conflict, I found that it became very clear the, the, the kind of like metaphorical age we were at in regards to the work we did. And so mm-hmm. I guess like wh- my question would be, when is it a point where if the person's not really willing to do the work to grow from conflicts, do you, how much of that are you supposed to kind of stay in support or how much of that is like, okay, maybe this person isn't meeting me where I'm at and this is now actually crossing boundaries. This is me, um, you know, giving too much of myself um, right. or um, what's the word? can't think of it right now um you know what I mean like letting myself yeah. down in regards to what I need um yeah, yeah. How, how do you kind of help your your clients navigate through that I mean you kind of hit the nail on the head with the the saying you know if they're not willing to grow that's such a huge that's such a huge uh key part to it and even just you know growth could be their personal growth and Unfortunately, um, and I hate to generalize ever, especially based on gender, but you know, it tends to be women are more open to doing like the self growth than men. So it tends to be, I get a lot of clients who are women with past partners who weren't willing to do their own personal growth. But if your partner is at least willing to grow within the relationship, so you know, learn about attachment style, learn about better ways to communicate, you know, even do something like couples therapy, like that's amazing. That in itself is just so much potential. And I would say, you know, that's a relationship that's worth staying in and and fighting for much longer than someone who isn't. And, you know, at the end of the day, if your needs aren't being met, if there's any type of, if there's any type of abuse, you know, physical, I mean, obviously physical, uh, emotional um, type of abuse, if there's any like, you know, I, I guess like the boundaries, definitely boundaries, needs, and any type of like emotional abuse. If there's any of that and your partner is unwilling to see your side, unwilling to make the changes. And when I say unwilling to make the changes, 
Um, I definitely mean like you have communicated what you want from them and you have even maybe helped them understand ways, practical ways they can meet those needs or make changes. If you've done all that and they're unwilling to do anything, then it's like, okay, but what, what, what could you even create with this person? What kind of relationship could you have with this person? If we're, if we're talking like you want a long-term relationship, what do you think this person is going to be like? You know, if you decided to get married, if you decided to have kids, if you decided to buy a house, you know, it's always going to be this, this is how they are. They have a very fixed mindset. Um, And that's very detrimental to a relationship with a different person who, you know, has different ways of doing things. Everyone will. So if someone's unwilling to do any type of work, that's definitely a huge red flag uh, for me. And for that, that's what I would tell my clients as well. Yeah, for sure. I think that's like that willingness to do the work is, is key for sure. Cause yeah. How, how can you grow? Relationships are all about growth. So hell yes. And I, I love that you and your partner, um, practice couples therapy. How, when Mm -hmm. did you start that? Yeah. Um, I think that was a year ago now. Yeah. A year ago. And was that inspired by conflict or was that something that you both decided to do together? Actually, I think it was under a year ago, but no, we, I mean, given this is what I do for a living, I am very, and I love therapy, you know, as a coach, I try to work with only clients who are also in therapy or have been in therapy. Um, So I just, you know, am a huge advocate for therapy. I think it can do wonders for people. And for me, you know, I think everyone can benefit from therapy, especially couples. I see couples therapy and just through a lot of the research I've done. And I also do a lot of, um, base a lot of the work that I do off of this one researcher named John and Julie Gottman research institute called Gottman Institute. Uh, And so they do a lot of couples therapy, right? And couples therapy is just shown like, you are so better off if you can, if you as a couple can get into couples therapy before there's major conflicts, before you're wondering if this is the relationship for you, before you get married, because it's essentially like, it's the same with, uh, with healthcare, right? You, uh, most people only go to the doctor when they're sick, but there's not really a doctor for teaching us how to stay healthy. And that's why a lot of people, you know, do this alternative type of medicine, but it's the same in a relationship. Like you want to create that solid foundation. You want to get on top of things before things get bad. Even our therapist said, he was like, when we got into uh, the first session or second session, he's like, you guys are weird. And he did use the word weird. He's like, you guys are weird. <laughs> you Most couples don't come to me when there's like no issues. And to say, to go off that, then most people are like, well, what are you even talking about? We do, you know, connection exercises. We did this very long thing that's called like save your marriage, save your relationship before you get married, something like that, um, which took several sessions. And then sometimes we do have bad fights. We have a really bad argument about something. We come into therapy and we go through the argument again and we find healthier ways to communicate it and come up with healthier solutions. And it's great. Wow. That is literally the dream. You are living the dream. Oh my gosh. I would love to normalize couples therapy. Like I'd I'd love for it to just eventually like meet more people who are like, yeah, let's do it. Especially if someone's already in like solo therapy. I, of course it's like, you know, building that foundation. and, And I love that you kind of likened it to healthcare because it's like, Instead of, you know, eating like shit and then being told you have to eat better, just eat better and then yeah. you don't have to worry about 
the ulcer. I see it almost if, if, the, if like you eat like shit and then the doctor's like, okay, here's some high blood pressure medicine, right? Instead of being yeah. like, all right, let's teach you how to eat healthy from the get-go. Um, and, you know, things won't always be perfect, but you're going to be a lot better off than if you wait until you need to take like medication. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. what's I'm forgetting the word for it. Um, there's like a, it's like, instead of preventative, is that the Yes. Word? That is it. There we go. Yes. Well done. That's that's kind of what I was getting at. Preventative medicine versus whatever doctors normally do. Um, And that's how it is with couples therapy, 100%. I love it. I love, love, love it. So I love this one thing that you wrote um, and how it's just like literally this is like a huge aha for me was that like game changer um, is you said, how would you date differently if you truly believed you were enough? Oh, I love that you love that. I like got emotional about that. <laughs> now I'm like overwhelmed, yeah. but like if we can just kind of end with that, I just, I love if you want to just share your thoughts on that. Cause that really, I'm like, that's my intention now for like my yeah. single year and however long I'm just going to continue to channel that. Right. So this truly trickles into so many different aspects. A lot of people feel like they need to be worthy of love. And I always say that you know, self-worth is there, right? Whether or not you see it or not, like you can build on your sense of self-worth, but everyone is worthy. Everyone has value. So you don't need to change who you are, which a lot of modern dating advice tells you you need to, you know, get into better shape, have a better job, um, play the game, make them, make them see you're a high value woman. I hate that term. Um, Mm -hmm. It always telling you that you need to change. So it's like, how would you date if you felt, if you knew that you were worthy how how would your behaviors change? How would your beliefs about yourself change? How would you show up to a date if you believed that you didn't have to convince this person to like you? You could just be yourself and you knew, you know, if this person doesn't like me, then they're not the, the right person for me. Jeez, if we could, if everyone could have that mentality, we'd be, we'd be so much better off. Um, but yeah, because a lot of people just, they think, you know, I need to change who I am. I need to hide parts of myself. And then they get into unfulfilling relationships. And it really sucks because if we could learn how to feel worthy of love and show up and present our authentic selves on dates more often, we would be better off in finding that relationship that we actually truly desire. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Preach. (laughs) love it well I hope that we can all yeah I I mean I just even hearing that is like helping me step into it more and just like actually embody it because it's just it's it's it feels amazing it's like I just makes me feel more feel more powerful feel more powerful and excited for the potential but also just know that I mean there's really not anything I like there's no voids to be filled there's nothing missing you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Beautifully said. Well, thanks again for your time and your wisdom and just sharing. I, I super, super appreciate it. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes for the listeners. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun and I hope uh, I hope that this helps people. Oh, hell yeah. Well, I mean, I already <laughs> feel like 10 times better. 10 out of 10 would recommend. There you go. Thank you. <laughs>